Wessex Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. Fellow Townsmen by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Three. He did so to the letter, and though, as the crocus followed the snowdrop and the daffodil, the crocus in Lucy's garden, the harbour road was not an unpleasant place to walk in. Barnet's feet never trod its stones, much less approached her door. He avoided a saunter that way as he would have avoided a dangerous dram, and took his airings a long distance northward, among severely square and brown ploughed fields where no other townsman came. Sometimes he went round by the lower lanes of the borough, where the rope-walk stretched in which his family formerly had a share, and looked at the rope-makers walking backwards, overhung by apple-trees and bushes, and intruded on by cows and calves, as if trade had established itself there at considerable inconvenience to nature. One morning, when the sun was so warm as to raise a steam from the southeastern slopes of those flanking hills that looked so lovely above the old roofs, but made every low-chimneyed house in the town as smoky as Tophet, Barnet glanced from the windows of the town council room for lack of interest in what was proceeding within. Several members of the corporation were present, but there was not much business doing, and in a few minutes Down came leisurely across to him, saying that he seldom saw Barnet now. Barnet owned that he was not often present. Down looked at the crimson curtain which hung down beside the panes, reflecting its hot hues into their faces, and then out of the window. At that moment there passed along the street a tall, commanding lady, in whom the solicitor recognised Barnet's wife. Barnet had done the same thing, and turned away. "'It will be all right some day,' said Down, with cheering sympathy. "'You have heard, then, of her last outbreak?' Down depressed his cheerfulness to its very reverse in a moment. "'No, I have not heard of anything serious,' he said, with as long a face as one naturally round could be turned into at short notice. "'I only hear vague reports of such things.' "'You may think it will be all right,' said Barnet dryly. But I have a different opinion. No, Down, we must look the thing in the face. Not Poppy nor Madrigora. However, how are your wife and children? Down said that they were all well, thanks. They were out that morning somewhere. He was just looking to see if they were walking that way. Ah, there they were, just coming down the street. And Down pointed to the figures of two children with a nursemaid, and a lady walking behind them. You will come out and speak to her? he asked. Not this morning. The fact is, I don't care to speak to anybody just now. You are too sensitive, Mr. Barnet. At school, I remember, you used to get as red as a rose if anybody uttered a word to you that hurt your feelings. Barnet mused. Yes, he admitted. There is a grain of truth in that. It is because of that I often try to make peace at home. Life would be tolerable then, at any rate, even if not particularly bright. "'I have thought more than once of proposing a little plan to you,' said Down, with some hesitation. "'I don't know whether it will meet your views, but take it or leave it, as you choose. In fact, it was my wife who suggested it, that she would be very glad to call on Mrs. Barnet and get into her confidence. She seems to think that Mrs. Barnet is rather alone in the town and without advisers. Her impression is that your wife will listen to reason. Emily has a wonderful way of winning the hearts of people of her own sex.' and of the other sex, too, I think. She is a charming woman, and you were a very lucky fellow to find her." "'Well, perhaps I was,' simpered Down, trying to wear an aspect of being the last man in the world to feel pride. However, 
She would be likely to find out what ruffles Mrs. Barnet. Perhaps it is some misunderstanding, you know, something that she is too proud to ask you to explain, or some little thing in your conduct that irritates her because she does not fully comprehend you. The truth is, Emily would have been more ready to make advances if she had been quite sure of her fitness for Mrs. Barnet's society, who has of course been accustomed to London people of good position, which made Emily fearful of intruding. Barnet expressed his warmest thanks for the well-intentioned proposition. There was reason in Mrs. Downe's fear, that he owned. But do let her call, he said. There is no woman in England I would so soon trust on such an errand. I am afraid there will not be any brilliant result. Still, I shall take it as the kindest and nicest thing if she will try it, and not be frightened at a repulse. When Barnet and Downe had parted, the former went to the town's savings bank, of which he was a trustee, and endeavoured to forget his troubles in the contemplation of low sums of money and figures in a network of red and blue lines. He sat and watched the working people making their deposits, to which at intervals he signed his name. Before he left in the afternoon, Downe put his head inside the door. "'Emily has seen Mrs. Barnet,' he said in a low voice. "'She has got Mrs. Barnet's promise to take her for a drive down to the shore to-morrow, if it is fine. Good afternoon.' Barnet shook down by the hand without speaking, and down went away. End of chapter 3